This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Good morning. It is Deep South Dining here on this Monday morning with Malcolm White and Carol Puckett. Good morning, Carol. How are you? I'm doing great, Mal. How are you? I've been missing you. I know this distance stuff is for the birds, but it, it's necessary and it is the right thing to do. And so this morning we are socially distant. Um, I can see that you're at home. I'm at home in the basement and you're in Edwards or are you at home? I came in, in the from city? Edwards because we don't have very good coverage out oh, okay. there. So I drove into town. And Java is back at Command Central at MPB Think radio studios well what about your easter yesterday was easter it was a very unusual easter with the COVID 19 but how did you fare uh we had a very quiet lovely easter the morning was absolutely beautiful kind of a magical morning with mist rising over the lake before you know the rain the tornadoes and and all hit so it was a different kind of easter and Woke up this morning thinking about our fellow Mississippians whose homes were destroyed and lives lost last night. Was, yeah, that was I, rough. Uh, I, our hearts and, and thoughts go out to the 11 Mississippians we lost overnight and the tornadoes and, and perhaps more and to their families. And of course, Mississippi is closing in on close to 100 deaths now to the COVID-19. It's a very tough time. In fact, I lost a great friend a uh, day before yesterday uh, up in the Boonville area, Willie Weeks, who is the owner-proprietor of Weeks uh, Burgers. He's uh, been in the slug burger business uh, for most of his adult life. His father ran a trolley uh, burger place in, in Boonville before Willie. Willie was a gifted photographer, musician, historian, and just a great guy, and uh, we will miss Willie Weeks and, and Weeks Burgers uh, in Boonville. It was a great part of the culture of my growing up, and our hearts are heavy uh, for Willie and his family. But life goes on, and so yesterday I focused on eggs a little bit. I, my grandkids well, I were not tell. here. <laughs> I, I, I saw your post of bo- boiled eggs this morning, and I thought there must have been an Easter egg hunt in the mix. Well, but really, no. there, wa- there wasn't. The grandkids are up in Oxford, so Kara and I just, well, Kara doesn't like boiled eggs, but I love them. So uh, I soft-boiled some, I hard-boiled some, I reminisced a little bit about my mini breakfast uh, in the kitchen at Hall & Mouse with my brother, where I would eat these uh, hard-boiled eggs, and we would catch up on the evening's goings-on. Uh, but Kara made a non-traditional uh, Easter dinner for us last night. We had tacos with black beans and brown rice, and they were simply delicious and very casual. Well, we were thinking a lot. I had a fish taco made of leftover bass that uh, that we had cooked, and John had venison tamales. So if we weren't oh. doing social distancing, we could have all gotten together and had a taco tamale night. Yeah, we, we both sort of had a uh, south-of-the-border theme last night without really knowing it. Well, I tell you, um, the Facebook uh, group is really blowing up. The cooking and coping gathering around the virtual dinner table uh, on Facebook that you and Leanne Galt started, and it's just been 
magnificent. And we have two very active members uh, on that Facebook group that are going to join us later in the show. Beth Kitchings, who is the mother of the Dutch baby, and Leslie Kelly, who's a veteran food writer uh, who grew up in Memphis, worked in Memphis, now lives in the Pacific Northwest, living in the Seattle area. And they will join us later. But first, Carol, we have a, a friend back, a special guest who's been with us before. Would you like to introduce Sherry? Indeed, I would. Um, Sherry Castle is one of the premier food writers in the in the South. And her cookbook, the New Southern Garden Cookbook, which was published a few years ago, has become a real standard. Um, she published Instantly Southern a couple of years ago that focuses on pressure cooking, uh, multi multi cookers and that and the Instapot, which you know I've never tried, but uh, sh- she's an expert, a food expert in many fields, and we're just thrilled to have her from Fearington, North Carolina, join us this morning. And she is also a member of the Cooking and Coking Facebook group. Well, great. Welcome, Good morning, Sherry. Welcome, Sherry. Good morning, you two. I'm so happy to be back with you. We are so glad you rejoined us. It's good to hear from you. Yeah, we just uh, went through a stormy night last night, and so the sun's out now, and I'm with you guys, and things are looking up. Well, when we started thinking about cooking at home and the changes in people's life, uh, in in their cooking life that the COVID-19 virus has brought on, we thought of you, because we knew that you would have some good ideas and you are probably cooking and coping as we speak. Well, I am. I am. I'm here alone. I live alone. So even that has changed my cooking. But, you know, I think a lot of folks are cooking for the first time, maybe ever, or in a long time, sometimes because they now have a free time to do it. And sometimes because it's the only option. And I think we're all just thinking about food a lot more than we were a month ago. Indeed. And we have time, which is kind of rare for this culture and this society. But now we suddenly find ourselves with lots of time on our hands. We're working from home and, uh, you know, we are locked down and quarantined. Now, one of the things that you and I share, Sherry, is that we love cooking with leftovers and we love just going to the pantry or the fridge and opening it up and uh, improv. So talk a little bit about that. Exactly. I think that sometimes when you, uh, you know, have a small group of people and you made a bi- or live alone or whatever and you make a big batch of something, you can get a little bit tired of scooping out another portion night after night. So what I try to do instead is to have people or encourage people to reconsider their leftovers. Like what Carol said just a minute ago, they had bath one night and made tacos the next night. Well, if you, if you look at what you're preparing as building blocks instead of a fixed thing, it's much easier to get creative. And, and you can also look at them different. Like, you know, if you've got a recipe that calls for carrots and you don't have the carrots, what else is orange and crunchy that you might have on hand you could substitute? Could you put a sweet potato in there? Could you put a winter squash in there? So I think if you look at bands of ingredients that are similar to one another, your options really open up. Yeah, I really like that. I, I, I love uh, going to the refrigerator and seeing what's available at mealtime. Uh, and I love this idea of building blocks. That, that's, a, that's a great perception and a, a great uh, 
concept to think on. Yeah, I'm not as creative well, as you guys. It look just looking at ingredients and um, putting them together. And this Facebook page, Cooking and Coping, has been a real uh, plus for me because I see what other people are doing, and it's inspirational. Uh, you know, for example, uh, there's a, a woman in our group from Spain. Jenny Pugh Hernandez, and she did a dish that was spaghetti tossed with capers and smoked salmon. Mm. Well, smoked salmon is something that's always in our refrigerator because John, my boyfriend, loves it. So, you know, I had everything to do that. Or another, I think another guy. Uh, go ahead, Carol. Go ahead, Sherry. I was going to say, but you know what struck me when you said that? And boy, does that sound delicious. And I've got spaghetti and capers and smoked salmon in my refrigerator. But basically what she did was make a really elegant tuna casserole. It was noodles and some fish, preserved fish, and some good stuff with it. So that's kind of that equivalency thing. She didn't use noodles. She used pasta. She didn't use tuna. She used that salmon. But what Mm. a wonderful way to do something you understand with the things you have on hand. And you're right. I'm going to do it again with tuna this week. And then I was going to mention another poster did this just, you know, because the pictures are so great, this black-eyed pea soup. And I thought, oh, gosh, you know, I have black-eyed peas, uh, a bag left over from, from New Year's. And this soup just looked delicious. And then I added a little bit of turkey and um, a little bit of ham that, that we had left over. That sounds great. That you know, this great. conversation reminds me of one of my grandfather Stewart's favorite meals. At the end of the week, he would go to the refrigerator and pull everything out and make a big pot of what he called slum gullion, which it was <laughs> everything yeah. left over in the refrigerator soup. I love that you know the word slum gullion. I think that's one of those words that may mean slightly different things in different communities, but the spirit's the same. Our slum gullion was sort of uh, some sort of noodles and ground beef or ground whatever we had and the vegetables of the week. And it was wonderful. When you, Carol, when you were talking about that uh, fuel pea soup, that black eyed pea soup, I did something the other night I did not have. Somehow I've... I don't have canned tomatoes, which seems impossible because you always have too many canned tomatoes. But I did have some black beans, but I had a jar of salsa. So what I did was is I combined the black beans, about half of that jar of salsa, and some chicken broth. And in three ingredients in four minutes, I had black bean soup. Wow. Hey, that sounds yeah. great. So that's the thing of, you know, look in your cabinet and maybe not look at what it is, but what it can do for you. Because that salsa added the tomato and the liquid and the peppers and some and some spunk and stuff like that. And I um, I don't know if you guys are having this problem, but we ter- periodically here in Chapel Hill, people have been having a hard time getting flour and eggs. Mm-hmm. Some weeks are better, some weeks are the other. But I had a couple of eggs left the other night and a little bit of buttermilk. And obviously, I would make. Uh, cornbread out of that, but the beauty is then I had a whole cake of cornbread that I could portion and freeze and it used up the eggs and the last of that buttermilk before it went bad. And that's another thing I'm trying to get people to think of is if you've got a very limited amount of something, what is the biggest bang you can get out of that? Do you 
boil those two eggs and eat them for breakfast, or do you use them in a larger batch of a recipe that's going to not only preserve it, but extend them and make them go farther? Yeah, that's that's another great observation. All right, ladies, it's time for our first break of today. When we come back, Sherry Castle will still be with us, and she will talk a little bit about using uh, dishes for more than, than one meal throughout the week, like turning a pot of beans or a roasted chicken into more than just one meal. So please stay tuned. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. You're listening to Deep South Dining here on MPB Think Radio. Good morning, Malcolm White here with Carol Puckett and our great friend calling from North Carolina, the home of O. Henry. We're talking with Sherry Castle, a professional food writer, a recipe developer, cook, teacher, and most importantly, a friend to Deep South Dining. Welcome back, Sherry. Happy to be with you. Thank you. Hey, Sherry, I wanted to comment on something. You were just talking about flour and buttermilk. We cannot Mm -hmm. get buttermilk. And all over the country, there's a flour shortage because people are doing what they call stress baking. People who have never had their hands in flour before are baking bread and all these wonderful things. And you cannot get a bag of flour around here. That is the truth. And, you know, I'm so proud of those bread bakers, and I find them inspirational because that's not something I've done much of either. But I love that they're being brave and trying something with enthusiasm and vigor that they probably wouldn't have tried before. And it's turned out really well. And I strongly suspect that some of these people will be bread bakers from now on. Yeah, Yeah, I I, I agree. Uh, Sherry, one of the things that you and I talked about on the phone the other day, kind of getting ready for this, uh, you were talking about that there's a trend during this this time of people going back to old family recipes and old cookbooks. So why don't you talk about that a little? Well, I have a deep personal passion for old cookbooks, community cookbooks, the things, you know, that, that popped up in our hometowns that if our mothers and our grandmothers owned a cookbook at all, it was probably one that they had bought to raise money for the fire department or something like that. But even if you have other kinds of cookbooks or family recipes, those apron pocket recipes, I think the reason that they are appealing to us so much now is we know what to expect. In this very uncertain time, having a taste of something from a calmer time, from our past that invokes a memory of someone that made it for us out of love, and that we know exactly what we're getting at the end of it, can be very comforting. Not only delicious, but it really brings in another aspect of what we mean by comfort food. They also tend to be pretty simple and easy to pull off with things that you have on hand, which is another benefit to them. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about cookbooks that I love, and there are too many to name, but I was thinking about 
early in my life, my aunt who grew who lived uh, grew up in Mississippi, but lived in Ponchatoula, Louisiana, home of the famous strawberries, sent me a, a cookbook called Talk About Good, and it was uh, recipes yeah. from the Junior League, I believe, of uh, Lafayette, Louisiana. It was one of yeah. the first, and it's still a classic. Absolutely. It is also one of the most successful um, community cookbooks. They have sold millions of copies. I mean, contemporary cookbook authors would never imagine selling that many. But I think that, you know, it has loyalty because it's delivering what we want. Really good, often quite creative, but good food that's familiar, that stands the test of time. And um, I always say that if you can tell when somebody's got a book like that that they love, that if, heaven forbid, they ever dropped it in a pot of water, you get a good soup because of all the little stains <laughs> and speckles and stuff on the pages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the dirty pages, as that group out of Nashville calls it. Right. Uh, cook, right. Cookbooks with right. stains all in them. Dirty mean exactly. a good way. Dirty in a good way, and I love it that when you find these, if they're in your family, or maybe even if you've you know picked one up in a in a you know a secondhand shop or something like that, that people wrote in them. People that would never write in a book would put notes in there like Fred likes more cheese, or this was real good, or yum, or double the Cool Whip, or whatever it was. That they you know that they, they these were actually became accidental archives of the way they fed their families. And to see how ingredients have changed over the years when you go back and, and read these community cookbooks. I mean, of course, there was a lot of uh, can of mushroom soup and uh, cream of chicken soup, uh, uh, rolls of craft garlic cheese. Uh, back then, fresh asparagus weren't available. You know, there was canned asparagus. You, you, can, you can tell the time that they were, oh, in jars of mushrooms. Oh, jars you of know. mushrooms, exactly. And so, you know, they were like a, a, a timeline. I read just yesterday, however, though, that there is a run on those kinds of products that some of the major food companies are actually ramping up production to make some of the things that are showing up in these old recipes everybody's making. And, you know, talking about canned asparagus, I remember a period uh, you would get these fancy white canned asparagus and you'd put the can in the refrigerator and let it chill and then pour it out on a plate, maybe on a bed of lettuce, and just top it with some blue cheese dressing or something. And I mean, you thought you were at the Waldorf Astoria. My stars. Now, that's a new one on me. I've heard of some stuff, but that's a new one on me. I wrote a book a few years ago that was actually a tribute to these community cookbooks. And the very phenomenon you were talking about, Carol, about things that were once very popular, you can't get anymore. They have fallen out of favor. Things like packets of Dream Whip. Now, that may be somewhere, but we can't get Dream Whip. And you can still get this, but I was just amazed that for about a 10-year run in the late 50s to the mid-60s, apparently every man, woman, and child in North America ate at least one can of Underwood Deviled Ham a day because it was <laughs> oh my everything. <laughs> Absolutely everything. <laughs> um, Go ahead, Carol. Okay, well, Sherry, I was thinking of so many uh, among us are struggling financially because of layoffs and furloughs and um, all those things. And so it's been become more important than ever to stretch your food dollar. So do you have anything to say to us about that? 
I would say that if you can buy things in their simplest form, um, like, you know, a bag of beans rather than, you know, a can of baked beans or chickens with bones and skin, I think that the real unsung hero in the chicken aisle, and I've noticed that they're there, even though you sometimes like the boneless, skinless chicken breasts can all be gone, but they're still whole chickens or chicken quarters because you're going to use every bit of that. You can simmer the chicken and have meat to eat or to use in other recipes or to freeze. And then you can take those bones, and this is true for both uncooked chicken and those rotisserie chickens, and make stock. And then you've got stock to make chicken noodle soup or to put in your enchiladas or to put in vegetable soup or something. So if you can buy foods that aren't hard to do, that you can use every bit of it because you pay just as much for that chicken carcass as you did for the meat, it will extend your dollars. And then also, we touched on this earlier, figure out the way that you can get the most out of it. Do you eat that chicken and have one meal, or do you use the meat in two or three recipes in the stock and get four meals out of it? So you're not spending any more money. You're just spending the ingredient wisely. You said something earlier that really hit me when I was talking about the uh, smoked salmon and pasta. You were saying, you know, that's a version like of a tuna casserole. And, you know, with and, and you were talking about using canned tuna or something. I think that's a wonderful idea because, you know, with the pasta, you have your carbohydrate and then you, uh-huh. you have pure protein. And those combinations, uh-huh. I mean, that's an inexpensive dinner and a way to stretch a meal. It is. And, you know, people used to keep tins of canned salmon on the shelf. I know we were raised on, I grew up in the mountains of North Carolina, and we ate three kinds of fish. We ate the fish my granddaddy caught, we ate seafood on our one week at Myrtle Beach every summer, and we ate canned salmon. And, you know, that salmon can be delicious. It can be used in place of other fish you've cooked. It can be used in place of tuna. And a classic that I have brought back from my past, a very economical and delicious thing is I've been making salmon patties again, what some people might call salmon cakes or salmon croquettes. And all it is is the drained salmon, a little bit of seasoning, and crushed um, saltine crumbs. If you don't have saltine, some sort of cracker crumbs or bread crumbs, and an egg, and you fry them in little patties in a skillet. And they are delicious. They are filling. It's a huge amount of protein. They're good hot. You can make a sandwich out of them the next day. You can crumble them over a salad. So, you know, maybe maybe one thing I can do for people is I can bring back the salmon patty. Well, I see Malcolm nodding in agreement. <laughs> well, you know, salmon croquettes in my house was a delicacy. And uh, the thing I remember, my fondest memory, was that you could smell them a block away. You could start walking oh, toward yeah. your house, and you knew if you were having salmon croquettes or not because you could smell those things, and they were delicious. That, they were delicious. And, you know, used to, you had to pick three of the cans of salmon. You know, if, well, some people use the skin and the bones and everything else. My grandmother would, would take the skin out and give it to the yard cats, but she'd leave those little teeny tiny round bones that looked like little, well, they didn't look like bones. She thought that those bones were good for our bones, her babies. But, you know, they're, um, now you buy it, and it's like opening a can of tuna. It's just this beautiful steamed salmon, often wild salmon, which can be cost prohibitive if you get it at all for a lot of things. And you get these little shelf-stable cans of wild salmon, and it's just chock full of good-for-you stuff and not very expensive. It's a very unsung 
pantry staple that people can use. And I want to talk about two more unsung pantry staples, and that is a can of sardines can be used so many ways, and a can of smoked oysters is a real delicacy in my world. Absolutely. I read just the other day where somebody had done, again, a pasta dish. I think maybe they had, or it was either pasta or rice, but some sort of a nice neutral economical starch. And he put the uh, sardines and some crushed red pepper flakes and some toasted garlic and olive oil. And when they posted that picture, it looked like they were sitting, you know, like on at some resort on the Mediterranean. It looked fantastic. Because what most of us were I knew about sardines was you ate them on saltines with yellow mustard when you were fishing. This had really exceeded <laughs> that bandwidth. It looked good. <laughs> you got that right. I have been on a many a fishing trip where that was lunch. Exactly, exactly. And the smoked oysters, that sounds like a delicacy, too. I wonder if you could use those to make just a good old simple oyster chowder, you know, where you just put a little milk and a blob of butter and maybe a couple of potatoes and, and call it a meal. I wonder if that would work. Malcolm, have you ever done that? I haven't. I, I make oyster stew. Again, my grandfather made it with fresh oysters, but I cannot imagine mm-hmm. that a smoked oyster stew wouldn't be delicious. I wouldn't put the oysters in until the last minute, though, because they're already exactly. cooked. So I would, exactly. but that would be great. <laughs> All right, ladies, it's uh, once again time for a break. We want to thank Sherry Castle for joining us today from North Carolina. Carol, do you want to say goodbye to Sherry? I'd like to say goodbye, and Sherry, I hope that, I guess we won't see you again, but I hope that you'll agree to be our guest again. You are always so enlightening and entertaining, and um, can we call you up? Any old time. I appreciate it. Y'all are just great, and it's an honor to be with you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. All right. When we come back, we'll talk to two amazing members of our Coping and Cooking Facebook group, Beth Kitchens and Leslie Kelly. So stay tuned. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. You're listening to Deep South Dining here on MPB Think Radio. I'm Malcolm White here with my co-host and great friend, Carol Puckett. Right now with COVID-19, it may have us physically separated, but socially we're coming together. Carol, tell us about the virtual table that you and Leanne Galt have created. Well, it's a Facebook page uh, that's part of our show, and it invites people uh, from all over the country to share their experiences during this time, their their cooking experiences. And it has just been a, a, a joy to be a part of. We have nearly a thousand members. It's open to the public. We hope our other listeners will join. Just go to Facebook and look for Cooking and Coping. But one thing that's really different about this group, because, you know, you have a thousand people from Spain, Idaho, you know, Seattle, mostly Mississippi, North Carolina. And yeah, people are really starting to get to know each other and look for each other's posts uh, every day. And 
just you know, by way of introduction, Leslie Kelly, who we'll be talking to, was really instrumental in making this take off because Leslie has what we used to call a deep Rolodex from her food days in Memphis as a food editor of the Memphis Commercial Appeal and then her Seattle stay. You know, she brought a bunch of Seattle people to the group. So I will introduce our two friends. Um, Beth Kitchings is on the line, and she is Vice President of Member Involvement for the Mississippi Economic Council by day. But by night, she is a (laughs) wonderful cook, and everybody enjoys the post on her porch suppers. But her claim to fame and what we'll be talking to her about is the Dutch baby. Mm. And the Dutch baby was something uh, Beth posted last Saturday. And within 24 hours, there were Dutch babies being cooked all over the world. Uh, So, (laughs) hey, Beth. Hello. Good (laughs) morning. Yes, we we call you the mother, mother of the Dutch baby. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I will take any culinary title ever because that that just is very humorous to me. I I love to cook, I love to eat, but uh, and I haven't made anybody ill. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, but this this is fun to be a culinary trendsetter. So tell us about the Dutch baby. Well, I I was there was a New York Times article a couple of years ago that. I made my first Dutch baby, and um, I am lucky that I have a very adventuresome and uh, appreciative husband as an audience, and so he's all in no matter what I say I want to try, and um, we made it a couple of years ago, and I'd kind of forgotten about it because I I don't tend to cook the same thing twice, and um, then it piped popped back up and I saw it and I'm like you know that is so comforting and it it poofs up it's like a sweet Yorkshire pudding and um, which I also love in the holidays and we do make that so it was just kind of a, a natural progression to be able to say hey let's entertain or enjoy our comfort food with a Dutch baby. Well, I think it was your anniversary weekend. I think we saw that on your post, too. So that was a beautiful Sunday morning. But the Dutch baby is a fluffy, puffy pancake. And, uh, you know, in reading about it, uh, there's a real uh, antagonism between the Dutch and the Germans who each claim the Dutch baby because some people think that the name was originally Deutsch or German pancake. Right, and so it from became the Manta family restaurant in Seattle. Oh, okay. Yeah, it uh, started that uh, the, the young girl, the, a daughter of the proprietor, could not say the German word for du- for German. And so instead of, which I can't say, and you just did, uh, so Dutch came out of her mouth, and that was the end of it. According to my history... Historical well, that's that's cool, and it there's there are only a few ingredients, and it takes uh, five minutes to make. So uh, tell tell us about that. Yeah, it's just it, you know it's 
flour and egg and butter and milk. And the fat to uh, flour and uh, milk ratio is, is uh, it's just super easy, and you can make it in a popover pan, or, or I use a big, large muffin tin, or a cast iron skillet. And, you know, the results are the same. I, I tried baby Dutch babies this past Saturday just to try it that way, which uh, if you go back to a couple of web stories, the baby Dutch baby is how it started. And um, it was three served as three small Dutch babies, and then it became a, a larger serving later. And um, another funny thing about the Dutch baby is there was... Um, with that New York Times article a couple of years ago, there was a big feud between Yorkshire pudding fans and Dutch babies. And that, look that up. It's, it's kind of humorous to read. Well, one thing I learned in my research on the Dutch baby, and maybe it was from uh, Sam Sifton in the New York Times, is the importance of your eggs being room temperature and the milk yes. being room temperature. And Yes. I've never even thought of this before, but he said, you know, if you have cold eggs and you forgot, just put a little warm water in the bowl and sit them there for three, you know, three or four minutes. And yeah, that takes care of it. But it's like with Yorkshire pudding to get that real puff, you need room temperature, milk and eggs. Why? Well, I'm glad to know that because I've had to prepare by remembering to take the eggs out in plenty of advance. So I am glad to know that I can put them in warm water. That's excellent. Well, you learned it here on Deep South Dining. And last weekend, over the last week, I think we've had 20 different posts or pictures of people making Dutch babies from coast to coast. But the best presentation was Jack Garner's in Oxford. And I'm sure that doesn't surprise you. Not at all. I mean, he had you know, a, a beautiful setting, placemat, plate, and then it was drizzled with, um, I don't know, it was maybe a, a raspberry and blueberry sauce. But it was so much fun to see see how people presented it. Uh, I, you know, I just had my, I just took my 10-inch cast iron skillet with my puffed Dutch baby with powdered sugar to the table, and that... Everybody else kind of put me to shame. Mine looked pretty simple. Carol, let's get Leslie on the phone here from Seattle. Introduce her, please. I will. Leslie Kelly is not in Seattle. She's actually in a recreational vehicle in Sedona, Arizona. And uh, Malcolm and I first met Leslie uh, with the Southern Foodways Alliance uh, group out of Oxford, Mississippi, when she was at Memphis. And the, just one word I think of when I think of Leslie, besides being one of the most fun people I've ever known, is Leslie is a connector. She connects people together, and she puts so much joy in cooking, and people love her and follow her. And welcome from the, the RV park, Leslie. Carol, you're going to make me cry. <laughs> That's a very sweet introduction. Um it's it's actually uh, raining here in Sedona, and, uh, you know, so it does feel a little bit like Seattle. But I wanted to, to thank you again for, for getting that uh, Facebook group going because 
you know, I, the second part of the, you know, c- cooking and coping is, is sit, gathering around the virtual table. And I have, uh, my husband and I have been out on the road for eight months now. And we, so, so we've been really socially isolated for eight months. Um, traveling around mostly the West Coast. Last year, we went all the way across the country. But um, I absolutely love connecting with people through this virtual table. Thank you, Carol and Malcolm, for getting that going. Oh, thank you. Thank you for joining us and bringing your uh, friends along. Leslie, every um, day... I wake up in the morning and I look for your post that you know from what you cooked from the the night before, and uh, you know a lot of the a lot of things are on the grill. Some some are not, but I know that you wrote an article maybe a couple of months ago for all recipes about uh, what I've learned cooking in an RV. What have you learned? Well, um, that is actually out in the current issue, the the April-May issue of All Recipes magazine, and I did write write a little sidebar on um, how living in an RV has made me a better cook. And I think, for me, it's about the art of stocking the pantry, and I loved hearing Sherry talking about, Sherry Castle talking about the canned salmon, because those are the kind of things that you need to have on hand to kind of throw things together. But I love, I also just love the kind of the challenge of, you know, maybe we're running a little bit low, so what are we going to do? And last night for Easter dinner, I had some, believe it or not, leftover pulled pork from a shipment I got from the rendezvous in Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> Of course you did. <laughs> yeah, did they they must FedEx to uh, to RV parks. They do, they do. Actually, I just wrote a story. I also write for um, Forbes dot com. I'm a contributor there, and I wrote about here are two great Tennessee barbecue places where you can get um, some some happiness delivered to your doorstep. Um, and it's uh, you know Rendezvous has been doing it forever. They really invented it way back when, um, but Peg Lake Porker in Nashville, Carrie Bringle, has also um, jumped on that bandwagon, and it's such, I got both of those last week, and it was such an absolute pleasure to gnaw on some bones from Tennessee, so. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, recently I was in Memphis for uh, a Blues Foundation event, and as I was leaving town, I got a a big to-go box from the rendezvous of ribs. And when I got home, uh, I had some Dreamland barbecue sauce from Alabama, and I thought, well, this should be fun. So I put Dreamland sauce on rendezvous ribs, posted it on social media, and people, the first question was, what's wrong with rendezvous sauce? (laughs) And I said, (laughs) nothing. I was just experimenting. (laughs) And I said, and there's also nothing wrong with Dreamland ribs. (laughs) That's right. That's funny. So tell us about last night's dinner. I've seen a, a well, picture of it this morning. Yeah, I I made a um, a barbecue pizza, and I made it on. Uh, I didn't have any any pizza dough, or I'm, you know, I don't have any any yeast or anything. So I made it on tortillas, and that 
um, that inspiration goes way back to our friend Angie Mosier in Atlanta. Um, she um, told me that her husband Johnny always makes pe- something called they call pizza olay. So it's pizza just on a flour tortilla in the oven. And um, it turned out really well. I was so um, surprised and delighted. And, of course, we fired up. We have a, uh, a DVD player. We fired up a little Elvis on tour for our uh, <laughs> entertainment. And so perfect little Memphis, uh, you know, moment in the uh, motorhome. All right, we're going to take our last break of the show, and when we return, of course, we will continue to talk about delicious creations and how the pandemic uh, and being isolated at home has affected your cooking and eating. We will certainly hope that both Beth Kitchens and Leslie Kelly will rejoin us when we come back. This is Deep South Dining. I'm Malcolm White, along with Carol Puckett. And you hear us right here on Monday mornings at 9 o'clock on MPB Think Radio. Stay tuned. We will return. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. Malcolm White here with Carol Puckett. Also on the phone, Leslie Kelly and Beth Kitchings from our Coping and Cooking uh, Facebook group. And we've got a question for both of you. First question is, what recipes or inspirations have you taken, uh, Beth, from the group and used uh, in your own home? Oh, well, I always go to Leanne Gulp. Page. She started these Monday night or Sunday night suppers a while ago. So Lynn is my inspiration, and I, I tried to mimic her Asian beef bowl with a, a chuck roast. And I don't know if it turned out as well as hers did, but it, it was it was very tasty. Mm. I'll second that, and you know, Leanne takes incredible pictures of her dinners every night, and I really enjoy that. I've I saw um, something on there this week from a friend of mine in Seattle, um, Mei Ling, and she made a Thai pork um, curry sloppy joe, which I'm like, yeah, what? That's like a crazy cross-cultural mix of things. And, you know, um, she, she, she put it on a brioche bun, so that's a little fancier than your average sloppy joe, but... Like, oh, that's such a great idea. I'm going to try that. I get so many ideas from Bob LaCour in Meridian and Tim Pierce, who is in Memphis and in Bahia. They are, they are two others. I just love to see what they're doing and their photographs. So, Beth, your day job being at the MEC, uh, which is Mississippi's Chamber of Commerce, I understand y'all are working with a lot of small businesses across the state and particularly with restaurants uh, in the relief and recovery efforts uh, as a result of COVID-19. Yes, yes. What we've been doing is working, you know, not only with our elected state leadership, but with our federal delegation, too, to, to make sure that we have all of the resources handily available on our website. We have an employer's resource page that you can find at msmec.com forward slash coronavirus. 
<clears throat> coronavirus, and you uh, all of the PPP uh, opportunities are, are there for our employers to go in and, and find that payroll protection program, how to apply, and then as we hear new information, we're constantly updating that resource page. So we want every business to come back after this, and that that's our role in, in helping provide those resources for everyone. The word they go. Yeah. Got to take care of our restaurant people and hospitality people. And most definitely. So when this is all said and done, uh, ladies, uh, how do you think this will impact your cooking and your gathering around the family table moving forward? What lessons have you learned and what do you think uh, the new reality will be like? I, I think that um, people are starved for the, the human contact. You know, I mean, I think I, I, I picture, um, you know, really when we are all safe and we hope that's sooner than later, you know, just a, a feast around a true table, not just the virtual table, but I'd like to come and hug all of you all, you know, in person one of these days. Uh, maybe Carol will host out at her beautiful place. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> I, I agree. The, the virtual table is, is wonderful, fun, and a great coping mechanism, but I, I miss, you know, and I love my husband, but I, I miss interacting with a lot of other people, too. So uh, a, a big, big dining room table or a, a great backyard full of all sorts of people that are less than six feet apart would be an amazing thing to happen. Yeah, maybe- Beth, we, we have loved seeing your porch suppers that you cook for uh, you and Taylor at night. They're so beautiful, and there have been several comments that people want you to have a porch party instead of a porch supper for two. It looks like a <laughs> beautiful, wonderful place to be. Well, we'd all we'd be kind of packed in tightly, but all are welcome. And I want to to do a shout out to Taylor. Taylor uh, Beth's uh, other half is a very talented teacher, writer, and musician. And he the the Kitchens family is a great asset to our community here in in Jackson and we just adore having y'all as our neighbors and friends and Leslie where is your next stop after us after Sedona um that's a big TBD I mean we um we were going to be in Arizona just for a couple of weeks and we've been here well over a month now and Sedona you know they um it's a town, small town, so um, they're a little like tourists. We we love you, but stay away. So we're just really kind of focused on hunkering down here at the beautiful RV park. I'll send you all a picture. I'll put one up on uh, on the Facebook page so you can see how lovely it is. So I, I really don't know what's going to happen next, honestly. So your plan is to be on the road for two years, is that right? Or was, that was well, your plan? Um, we, ha- we still have a home base up in the northwest, and that our plan is to eventually get back up there. Um, but, you know, we, were, we had a, b- a plan of getting back to 
we spent a lot of time traveling on the 101 on the coast of California and Oregon, and we loved that so much earlier in the trip, and we were going to get back over there, and that's just not going to happen. So we just need to find, you know, the the window to make a dash home and, you know, quarantine there so we don't bring anything with us or, you know, um, we're, we're very, very um, aware of the social distancing and and be well and safe everybody thank you and same to you deep south dining is a production of mississippi public broadcasting stink radio it is funding funded by generous contributions from listeners like you our show is produced by the one and only java chapman and we want to thank carol puckett for putting together a fabulous show today today our guest sherry castle Beth Kitchens, and Leslie Kelly. Thank you all so much. I'm Malcolm White. Stay tuned now for Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey, followed by Southern Remedy at 11. Join us each Monday morning at 9 o'clock for Deep South Dining, only on MPB Think Radio.